0: You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 2, Episode 12. Well, hello there, and welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holfe, coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. Boy, folks, yesterday the snow was drifting softly down from the sky, and I was cursing the day winter had already arrived. Now, in fairness, we already had one previous dump of snow a few weeks back, but as I ride my bike to work every day now... I am absolutely cursing this cold weather that is now forcing me to bundle up. Gone are the days of short and t-shirt. Now it's it's uh thermal underwear and uh and uh warmer mitts and toques and balaclavas and everything else, but I am committed to continuing to ride this uh lovely Lethbridge Westside hill we call it every day to work. Um it has been uh, a real saving grace for me as As many of you are aware, sitting behind a desk, uh, no matter what you do, whether you're an immigration lawyer, um, whether you are just someone who has a desk job, finding ways to stay active with a busy family, for kids, everything else, boy, biking has been my saving grace this last year. So as this cold weather starts to arrive, I'll tell you, I am not looking forward to it. Um, I'm sure most of you out there Uh, in other parts of Canada are also cursing the arrival of our cold winter. But in fairness, winter does bring uh, some positive things. Uh, There is skiing, there is hockey and skating and everything associated with winter sports, snowshoeing, and uh, the list goes on and on. But I'll tell you, me and my family, we love the summer and we are so sad to see it go. Now, with that being said... I can guarantee there's going to be a whole lot more Canadian immigration podcasts through the winter because there's simply less family trips and less uh, things pulling me outside of this fine office that I have here uh, at the law office of uh, Stringham LLP here in Lethbridge. All right, folks, I want to express appreciation, as always, for you tuning in and listening. I appreciate the feedback, and it's always great to get emails from people who are listening to the podcast who... Uh, make recommendations for future episodes. And uh, as I release this one, which I will today, October the 14th, um, we are right on the cusp of of having all of the changes to the Citizenship Act come in. So I had one of the immigration officers reach out and say, hey, I've reviewed these new provisions and I'm confused. (laughs) Can you uh, do another episode on this? So I will definitely include that in my list of future episodes. And I had another um, another lawyer reach out and say how helpful um, the, the previous episode I did with Jeffrey Lowe um, on um, the owner-operator LMIA process and how that can help to facilitate permanent residence. And I can't remember exactly which episode that was. But interestingly enough, in this episode, I have the pleasure of inviting uh, one of Jeffrey Lowe's associates, Robert Leong, on to the podcast to expand on uh, a very narrow aspect of that—that uh, that, uh, of ex- essentially e- uh, extending your permanent resident card. So, if you have clients out there or you yourself, um, obviously, are aware that when you have a, a permanent resident status in Canada, every five years you have to renew your permanent resident card. Well, sometimes people are outside of Canada for whatever reason, and they have to extend from outside of Canada. And so there are some unique aspects and um, challenges that arise when people are trying to do this. And uh, Robert has uh, come on graciously to share some really cool insight on some of the things that are happening at the visa offices abroad and ways in which we can help to protect ourselves from some unintended consequences um, when we're applying to extend permanent resident cards when When individuals are physically outside of Canada so it was great to have Robert come and join me Um, he took a lot of time to break down everything from you know the the whole purpose of of maintaining permanent residence and to really build on a past episode that I did with Chantal Deloge another Canadian immigration lawyer in season 2 episode 3 on on the general kind of uh, aspects of retaining permanent resident status in Canada But this episode with Robert, we're going to talk about an aspect that's quite um, unique. And I I guess I shouldn't really say it's unique, but it's something that we're starting to see a little bit of. And um, it involves a little bit of tension between the visa offices and us at times as immigration lawyers. And it relates to the fact that when your client is applying for a permanent resident card from outside of Canada and their PR card has expired sometimes the visa office will ask them to uh, apply for a travel document to return. Well, I don't think many of us are aware of the fact that when you apply for a travel document, even if your client has already submitted their PR card extension application through you in Canada, um, that permanent resident card travel document uh, application in and of itself can trigger a new residency determination. And one of the things that Robert's going to talk to us about is that the the some of some unintended consequences that can arise when your client decides to go ahead and apply for a travel document when their PR card has already expired and they're in that that gray zone um, or that you know they're really close to uh to whether or not they can actually meet the residency, the two and five residency uh requirements. So this is the, the topic of our podcast today, and I'm super excited to pull in Robert. So let's go to that interview right now. Well, we are back here with um, Robert Leong, and Robert is uh, an immigration lawyer practicing with uh, Low and Company in Vancouver, British Columbia. And I am very pleased to have Robert back for a second time to join us. How are you, Robert?
1: I'm good. Uh, Thank you, Mark. Uh, Very happy to be back.
0: Excellent. We had a great uh, discussion back last year in season one, episode 31 um, on a federal court case that you had led challenging a negative decision on a labor market impact assessment for one of your, your clients. And um, it was entitled what to do when your LMI is refused for improper advertising. And, uh, I remember that discussion, and at that time, everybody was tearing their hair out because of the very rigid um, process that Service Canada was following to um, uh, to assess whether or not a company had met the minimum advertising requirements. And and uh, I remember, Robert, you you know, in the context of that decision, there was a, an address of the company on one of the ads, I think, that wasn't quite perfect, and that was the basis upon which they had refused. Uh, the LMIA I think that that's correct is it not
1: that's correct Uh, so uh, in that case um, the advertisement contained the um, the place of work but not the business address of the uh, employer so it was refused for that reason
0: yeah it's amazing and in your case you were able to (laughs) to demonstrate that that uh, there was a slight fettering of the discretion of that officer and uh, And uh, which resulted in in that decision being uh, uh, sent back for for redetermination I think if I'm if I'm correct
1: yeah I mean in the course of the JR I mean I think there was evidence coming up from Service Canada that um, uh, they approached it almost you know as if they were holding a sort of a clipboard with checklists and uh, if certain things weren't there they would refuse it
0: yes yeah, I think that's exactly, uh, yeah, the exact situation. And you and I were talking off mic here before we started, and mm. with these new advertising, you know, uh, well, at least these new um, changes that recently occurred, it seems like they are pretty much business as usual.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think uh, some of our listeners will be aware that in August of this year, they've Service Canada has introduced some uh, new requirements uh, for advertising and um you know they they looked they look very very strict um and i just had a conversation with the manager just last week um and uh it does appear that they are still uh having that very strict compliance with their requirements
0: interesting mm-hmm. well it'll uh, i guess we'll see if there's going to be uh, future federal court cases on this topic as uh as people move forward now obviously the economy isn't quite as overheated as it used to be there are far less uh is being applied for these days than they were you know say three four years ago but uh, these issues are are still very much alive especially in the context of a company who is requesting large volumes of foreign workers and are paying thousands of dollars for the labor market impact assessment but um, yeah we will see how that evolves over time but at yep. this stage we will set that aside for a another discussion because we have uh, something a little bit uh, a little bit different a little bit interesting that we're excited to to share with the listeners today now just by by just to give a little bit of background obviously i would encourage you to go back uh, our listeners to listen to season 1 episode 31 and you can learn a little bit more about Robert, how he got into immigration, all those standard questions that I ask everyone, Um, but I'm gonna forego those today. Um, In terms of a slight introduction, um, Robert has been with Loewen Company since 2010, so over seven years. And before that, I'll remind our listeners that um, Robert practiced as a lawyer in Singapore for over 15 years. So he himself is a first-generation immigrant to Canada, and uh, he confided in me that like like most immigrants and all immigrants, I guess, if you will, uh, he has firsthand experience with the lovely process of renewing your permanent resident card and yes. uh, the counting of days and all of that. And that process is exactly um, what we're going to be talking about today. So there are some unique challenges that some people are experiencing when it comes to applying for renewals of their PR cards. And um, um, and these are the issues that we're going to talk about. So maybe the very, very beginning, Robert, you can give us just a general overview of what this permanent resident residency obligation is.
1: Sure. So maybe let's start at the beginning. So the current uh, Immigration and Refugee Protection Act was uh, enacted uh, in 2003, I believe. And prior to that, under the old Immigration Act, um, there wasn't this sort of a residency um, requirement. So uh, a permanent resident uh, could lose their status um, if it was found that they had the intent, the intention to abandon Canada as the place of permanent residence. So it was all based on this concept of intention to abandon. Um, Now, there was a presumption that if you were out of Canada for more than six months in a 12-month period, there was a presumption that you did intend to abandon. However, the permanent resident was able to um, uh, satisfy the immigration officer otherwise, so they could rebut that presumption. Um, So, when ERPA was enacted, I think Parliament decided that it was better to clarify um, and have a, a sort of a system uh, where it's very clear what a permanent residence um, residency obligation is and they I think they struggle with you know having a balance with allowing uh, permanent residents to still spend some time outside of Canada because of work or family or whatever it is. But still have um, genuine ties to Canada, and in the end, they settle on a sort of a residency obligation of being present in Canada for 730 days out of a five-year period. So that's two years out of every five years. Um, now, there are the most obvious way to meet this requirement is to be physically present, uh, but they also wrote into the the act certain uh, exceptions to physical presence, uh, including accompanying your uh, Canadian spouse outside of Canada or uh, being employed full-time by a Canadian business outside of Canada. So these were ex- exceptions were written in um, in anticipation of you know the people having to uh, move outside Canada to work uh, for a short period of time and um and so on and so forth now the act was enacted in two thousand and three so that yeah,
0: was, I think it was, I, I remember, I think it was 2002. I had the pleasure right. of working on the border during that transition. And so they, they gave us some instruction on the old act. And then uh-huh. three weeks later, after uh, starting my summer position, then we went through another week and a half of training on um, on IRPA. And so it's it's. It, I can remember that transition and how confused the officers were. And uh, yeah, those days are very vivid in my mind.
1: Right. And you, you can imagine, I mean, that's more than 10 years ago. I mean, I was just thinking, it was actually before the iPhone.
0: Yeah, yes. <laughs> so, uh-huh.
1: so, you know, lots have changed since then. I mean, uh, people are definitely more mobile nowadays. Um, so um, that has sort of brought some difficulties to um, permanent residents who travel frequently.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and you've hit the nail right on the head there. You know, we are becoming increasingly more globalized. And uh, some people may think, wow, they only have to stay in Canada or show that they've been physically present for two years in every five-year period. That is extremely generous. And and that may be true. But when you think about individuals who, for business purposes, if we just take that, who are required to travel outside of Canada Mm -hmm. on business, you know, they have lots of, uh, you know, international um, uh, obligations that they have to meet, whether it's meetings, whether it's business development internationally. But they do not, they're, they're technically, they are not employed outside of Canada. They, they're still in Canada. So every day spent outside of Canada goes against them, even when it's in the context of their own employment. So, you know, it's very easy for someone who's a frequent business traveler, you know, even cross-border Canada, U.S., it's easy to see how they can push that envelope. And um, in many cases, we, you know, you and I, we, we talk to clients all the time who come over, get their permanent resident card. Things are not quite ready to to actually relocate. And especially with Express Entry, how quick it is now, people are given their... their um, their instructions uh for landing they receive their confirmation of permanent residence and you know very little time to to actually come and land so they'll land then they'll go back to wrap up their affairs and sometimes it takes a little bit longer you know properties properties to be sold you know um you know various business ventures to either be wrapped up or or somehow uh, structured for them to be able to manage um from canada and so there's a lot of reasons that cause people to be outside of canada and i think that is um that's one of the challenges so no, so and that doesn't even fit like i indicated within the actual exception of of, be, of being on a payroll of a canadian business you know outside of canada so yeah those are those are very very interesting um interesting issues that have only become more uh prevalent these days as our as our world becomes more globalized and uh and so let's jump into this actual extension process because this is where problems often arise. And um, talk a little bit about this permanent resident card. Like, and we've addressed this a little bit in previous episodes of the Canadian Immigration Podcast, but what's the effect of this card? You know, For someone who has it, does that, does that, is that their entitlement to permanent residence? And this is kind of a leading question. I know the answer to it, but you know, what's the impact of a permanent resident card versus permanent residence? What does it really mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, the permanent resident card is really uh, a piece of document that proves that you're a permanent resident. Um, and the card has an expiry date on that. Um, a lot of my clients have this misconception that when my card expires, my permanent residence status expires. And I keep telling them that's not the case. Uh, the card is proof that you're a permanent resident. Uh, what it does is that it facilitates your travel to Canada if you're outside of Canada because that's the document that will prove that will allow uh, airlines to board you on the basis that you're a permanent resident having a right of entry into Canada and um, so that's what the card does. Um, So because the card has an expiry date on that the permanent resident would have to renew that permanent resident card every five years. And it's normally at the time of renewal of the card that um, Immigration Canada does a residency determination uh, to see whether the residency obligation has been complied with.
0: And when you think about it, Robert, this this system that they put in place with this expiring permanent resident card it makes a lot of sense. You know, for integrity purposes, um, it is a very easy and clean method of determining whether or not someone has um, the, uh, you know, the ability to to return to Canada if they have not met, well, if they've not met their permanent residency, uh, their, their residency obligation, if they have not met that two in five years, having a permanent resident card that expires can really help immigration to identify those people who may no longer have met it. And uh, without the card, you know, it's, you know, and a method for checking in every five years, Mm -hmm. um, it wouldn't be so easy. So it makes sense for integrity purposes um, why they would actually do this. But I think, you you know, we're going to talk about to some extent some of the problems that can arise for people who are in particular Maybe outside of Canada at the time that they're pro- applying for their extensions, but just taking a step back, maybe you can talk a little bit more practically speaking about, you know, what's involved in 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 the uh, the extension process.
1: Sure. I mean, I agree totally that it's a it's a good way for um, Immigration Canada to check. Uh, that somebody has complied with residency every five years. Um, So, normally towards the end of that five-year period, the permanent resident would have to submit an application uh, to renew that permanent resident card. Uh, That application has to be submitted inside Canada um, and um, the regulations provide for a, a checklist of things that need to go with that application. Um, Here's where it's a little bit strange as well because um, up until the end of last year um, Immigration Canada you know whenever you make an application there's always a paper checklist that comes with it and they frequently had a lot of items on the checklist that do not appear did not appear uh, in the regulations. And uh, they frequently came back to the permanent resident asking for more and more stuff. Uh, and there have been a few instances where I've written back to say, well, you know, this may not be relevant to determining whether the person is resident. And in any event, it's not in the regulations.
0: Can you can you give us an example, maybe, Robert, if, if you're okay with sharing that? What were some of the things that they had asked for that that were, you know, maybe not particularly relevant?
1: Sure, I mean, uh, so in the regulations, um, they ask uh, what's required is for the person to submit um, the latest uh, notice of assessment from CRA, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, in the checklist uh, that IRCC had previously, they actually asked for five years of notices of assessment, and uh, you know, some of the clients just do not have five years of notices of assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, they've written back to say, no, you have to give us five years. And, uh, you know, and I've sort of pushed back to say, well, that's not in the regulations. So that's a, a huh. one example of them going beyond um, uh, the requirements of the regulations. But th- the truth of the matter is, you um, Having notices of assessment do not prove that you've been resident. Do not prove that you've been physically resident. Uh, if we're trying to prove physical residence, whether a person pays tax or not doesn't necessarily uh, 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 show uh, whether that person is physically present. So, so that's one example.
0: Hmm. That's, and that's mm. a good example. Interesting. All right, so so they file, so they submit this paper-based application, they mm-hmm. include the documents on the checklist, mm-hmm. and uh, you had indicated that it must be submitted from within Canada. Yes. So if someone's outside of Canada, how do they do this?
1: Yeah, so there has been some uh, discussion about what submitting an application in Canada means, whether it means that the uh, permanent resident has to be physically present here when submitting the application or whether it just means that the application has to be submitted in Canada. And um, I believe the reading of the law is that it only requires that the application be submitted in Canada and the permanent resident doesn't have to be physically present here uh, to submit the application. And um, it makes sense because if you think about, for example, some of the exceptions, I mean, a permanent resident could be accompanying a Canadian citizen outside of Canada, and they could be living outside of Canada for years and years and years. Um, and then for the uh, permanent resident spouse to submit uh, an application to renew the PR card, um, it would be... It would be odd to require that person to fly back just to submit an application and fly out again.
0: And that um, that's a good that's a very very good um, uh, example because I know just recently we have filed two of those for uh, spouses of Canadian citizens uh, extension applications and in one case the spouse this was the second time the second extension that they had filed as they lived overseas with their spouse their Canadian spouse. And it was interesting on this second application, mm-hmm. they requested that she come in person to pick up the permanent resident card. And, uh, this was the first time that I had experienced that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the officers in land, uh, and uh, they, they were, um, they were very accommodating, uh, because we were here or at least our office submitting the application. They requested that they come to Calgary and, um, we had some discussion with them because the the individual had just so happened to come back to visit family in toronto and right. so we had a little bit of a discussion with the officers and and they were willing to try to accommodate but she my client was going to be flying back within a week so we made the decision to just have her come to calgary but they were going to accommodate and send The car to Toronto, but they didn't want to take the chance it got caught in the mail or something. So they were quite accommodating and she she received it. But it's interesting to know if there's there's any kind of an informal directive, (laughs) internal IRCC directive that says if there are two (laughs) uh, extensions uh, based on the spousal exemption that you know, you better make sure they're still alive. <laughs> <So>. Yeah. <laughs> so. I think there
1: were some instructions released uh, some time back just for integrity purposes that they would selectively, yeah. um, you know, have cases where they would require a permanent resident to pick up in person. Um, and it, it does create some problems. I mean, in your case, uh, did the person require a visa to come? Oh, sorry, was, was the person... Um, uh you know, how did the person come back to yeah. Canada without a permanent resident card? Yeah.
0: And so in their situation, they actually did still have it. So we were proactive. And that's one okay. of the, the takeaways that I want our listeners to listen to. Mm-hmm. Don't leave it until the last, you know, week. Um, of your, uh, you know, uh, when you're filing your application, if you're outside of Canada, don't leave it till your your PR card is going to be expiring in a week to submit your application, um, right. you know, whether you're inside or outside. And so in this case, she had traveled on her current PR card and and it was still valid, um, mm-hmm. but it was going to be expiring, you know, right around the time in which this decision was, was being made. So she was right. still traveling on a valid PR card. Right.
1: So that becomes a problem where... Um, in cases where the PR card has expired uh, and the PR is outside of Canada, and they've been asked to come back to pick up their card, um, so we've we've seen cases like that as well. Um, and in those cases, uh, you know, they have no choice; they have to basically fly to the U.S. and drive across the border, mm-hmm. um, which which is really inconvenient for some people and depending on where you are i mean uh, for us in vancouver i mean we're fairly close to the u.s border um but um you know i mean if i guess if i don't know whether they they would pick up in edmonton or somewhere
0: well yeah and it, it could be calgary or edmonton here in alberta but right. you know that's a, a three plus hour drive from the border even yeah. if you were to fly into the nearest place which is you know, which in terms of Alberta, it would, would be Great Falls, Montana, which is, you know, that adds on another three-hour exactly. drive or two-hour drive. So it's terribly inconvenient. And and not only yes. the inconvenience, Robert, mm. but some of our clients may not be able to get a U.S. visa.
1: That's right. Right? Yeah.
0: And so, so it, what if they're, yeah. you know, they apply for, a, a you know, a, a visitor visa to the U.S. just so that they can fly there and drive across and, and it's mm-hmm. denied. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, it puts clients in a very bizarre uh, situation. And yeah. Um, yeah, so.
1: So so in those situations, I'm, I'm sure some of our listeners will say, well, go and apply for a travel document from outside of Canada. Like uh, that, that's what uh, IRCC would always advise people to do. That's on a lot of their... Uh, you know if you go on social media that's what they tell people if you're a permanent resident you're outside of Canada and your card is expired go and get a travel document well that's where it becomes a little bit dicey because it's not as simple as that because when you apply for a travel document outside of Canada the visa office actually conducts a separate residency determination so um, if we're not talking about situation where it's a, it's a, a spouse, uh, uh, PR spouse of a Canadian citizen, if we're talking about somebody who has just met the residency obligation, uh, submitted the application, uh, has now left uh, uh, and is outside of Canada, and because of the period of time it takes for IRCC to process an application, um, if they were to then apply for a travel document at the visa office, they may actually not meet the residency obligation at that point in time. So that creates uh, some problems, and, and we've seen that. And a lot of permanent residents don't know that because you know, they get a letter in the mail saying, oh, my PR card is ready for collection, so they've approved it, uh, they've asked me to now go back to pick it up, so all I need to do is just pop into a visa office, apply for a travel document, and I'm good to go. Not realizing that the visa office may not arrive at the same uh, residency determination and we actually find them to have lost their PR status. Wow. Yeah.
0: So, Robert, what is the lock-in date?
1: So uh, the lock-in date is actually the date that IRCC receives the um, application to renew the PR card or the application for the permanent resident travel document. Hmm. So it's at the time of receipt and, you know, this is in the policy. IRCC has their own policy manuals. It's written there that that's the date that they will take. Um, it's also in the jurisprudence um, where the courts have said, yes, we have to take the date that uh, the applications was received it's
0: filed and yeah. so just for our listeners, you know that would be op ten section five point one for the purposes of of the operational manual, the overseas processing manual and uh, and then I think you've also hinted and we 'll put links to this in the show notes uh, con v. Canada and that's a tw- 2012 decision of the federal court 1471 so you know if, if people are running into issues and and there's other interpretations and that's not being followed in terms of you know the effective date being the date um, that the uh, the residency examination occurs is, is the, it's when it's received the applications received by the office then you know that's those are two resources that you can draw back on
2: mm-hmm.
0: hmm So, it's interesting, this dynamic between the the travel documents. So, when you have a PR card that, subject to appearing, is for all intents and purposes approved, Mm -hmm. but because of the travel document, the officer has the ability to ignore that previous decision, reset that lock-in date, and do another residency determination, and find them to have not met it. That would really create uh, a pretty cruel um, result, in my mind, um, almost bordering on short practice by immigration.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's the way the law is written, um, and uh, that the problem is a lot of um, lay people don't know that, and, you know, they, they just receive a letter from immigration telling them that their PR card has been approved, and they think everything's fine, uh, and they go and apply for the travel document only for it to be refused, and then they've lost their status. So uh, it is a problem, but um, unfortunately that's the way the, the Act is written because uh, it the Act talks about when you must demonstrate meeting the residency obligation, and that's found in Section 28 of the Act. So Section 28, Subsection 2B uh, states that The permanent resident has to demonstrate at examination that they've met the permanent residency obligation. So what does at examination mean? Uh, And uh, the uh, rules, uh, sorry, the regulations actually state that, you know, examination takes place when an application in paper application is filed or when you seek entry into Canada. Mm. so obviously when you apply for a travel document that's an application in writing yes uh and that authorizes them to conduct an examination and they can then look at whether or not you've met the residency obligation
0: wow Mm -hmm. so here's the here's the question robert how would you advise your client to deal with that situation Is this where you decline uh, the opportunity to (laughs) apply for the travel document and then they look for uh, a U.S. visa, like you indicated, and then try to get through that way? Um, What other alternatives are available?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, in cases where, you know, we are very sure that the permanent resident is not going to meet the residency obligation, if he chooses to apply for a travel document, then for sure we will ignore IRCC's request to uh, obtain a travel document. In fact I've written back to them to say thanks but no thanks, we're not going to do that. Um, And if they're able to obtain a US visa then uh, I would advise them to get a US visa and try to come back to Canada via the US. Mm-hmm. And
0: failing those two options, <laughs> uh, are they just out of luck? Um, Is there any way to challenge this requirement that they have to appear in person? Actually, and,
1: and, I'm not. I, yeah, I mean the 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 act actually requires that the uh, card be issued in Canada, mm-hmm. so. Uh, it has to be issued here. It cannot be mailed out out of Canada. Mm-hmm. The, the question is, will it be mailed to your home in Canada or your representative yeah, in counsel. Canada? Or do they require you to be present physically to pick up the card? And um, I don't know. It might be something that we could... Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: clearly the result is inconsistent. It is 100% inconsistent because I have had one uh, in one case they mailed to our office the PR card for my, for my permanent resident living abroad with their Canadian spouse. Mm-hmm. And in the other case, they asked them to come in for an interview. And I think everybody who represents you know, uh, clients with respect to the extension of PR cards runs into the headache of having IRCC mail directly those PR cards to the home of the, uh, of the client. And sometimes they have not updated the address information for that client. So these PR cards will go to old addresses. I've had farmers here in Alberta who have rural route addresses. And on the yes. application, I always put my address as the mailing address. And right. then their residential address is actually a rural route number out in the yeah. country. And yes. so guess where the intelligent folks in <laughs> in, in <laughs> Ottawa are sending the PR card? They're sending it to Rural Route One, you know, whatever yeah. it is, uh, yeah. Township Road Thirty. When, um, you know, and then when it arrives at the the rural post office, you know, fortunately for us small communities, the post the postmaster understands. <laughs> okay, right. this is John Smith's PR card. Apparently, I better give him the call because they don't accept box office, yes. like like post office box uh, yes. numbers on the resident, uh, you know, on where you live, your physical presence. So, you know, uh, it causes huge issues for clients. And I've had some returned. Uh, yes, if, I've had that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, y- you can see the inconsistency with with all of this. And mm-hmm. uh, wow, this is... So where do things stand right now then um, in terms of the case law and, and kind of the this this, these competing interests, um, you know, what are officers being instructed and, and, you know, where are things at with respect to case law?
1: Well, I mean, as, as far as case law is concerned, I mean, this I, I think it's, is it's still the way it is. I mean, um, uh, the, uh, I don't think much has changed with the case law is, really the, um, administrative, um, practices that have caused some difficulty. So, so right now um, IRCC can selectively um, choose uh, cases uh, to, in cases of renewal uh, to send for secondary ins- uh, examination. Now, what that means basically is that um, uh, your PR card renewal Uh, instead of being processed in two or three months, could take up to a year to get processed. And uh, we haven't really figured out what would trigger a secondary examination because I've had clients who have clearly, clearly met the residency obligation. They've been physically present. Um, but they still get sent for secondary examination. Mm. So I don't know whether it's a lottery um, or there's something. <laughs> yeah, just that purely
0: random. It. Yeah, yeah. Huh. yeah. No, it's interesting. Um, one thing that you had shared with me prior to this call um, was an old operational bulletin five three six, which instructed officers to treat essentially PR PR card applications as deemed abandoned if the PR didn't apply for the, the permanent resident travel document within 180 days. But then that was challenged, right, in federal court. What, what happened with that situation?
1: Yeah, so that what happened there was that we had a permanent resident who submitted a renewal application um, and then was outside of Canada. And in the meantime, his PR card expired. Um, IRCC gave him a residency questionnaire saying, provide us more information, we did that. Uh, And then they sent uh, in a letter saying, well, uh, in order for us to sort of, uh, you know, do further uh, processing, please apply for a travel document. And uh, if we don't receive that within a certain time, uh, we would treat your application as being deemed abandoned. And they were following uh, uh, Operational Bulletin 536. Um, so we took that to the federal court. Uh, we we refused to apply for the travel document, obviously because I knew that he would get refused uh, and would have lost his PR status. So they treated it as uh, deemed abandoned. We challenged the deemed abandonment, um, Basically, we said, you know, there's no legal basis for that. Um, you have an application that was validly filed. Uh, we have given you all the information you need to assess whether that locked-in five-year period is complied with the residency obligation. Um, so DOJ settled the case. So there's no... Of course. Yeah, So there's no decision on record. Uh, but we do see... Uh, at the top of OB 536 now uh, that they've put in a note saying that until new instructions are issued, IRCC agents are advised to ignore all references made to deemed abandonment. <laughs> so so that's what they've put into the OB. Um, but other than that, they haven't really changed the OB.
0: And that's basically around, well, that was last year, almost almost a year ago now, I guess. Um, yeah,
1: in December of last year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. Wow. You know, it's uh, uh, one of the things, and this is a little bit out there, but I, I wanted to address this before we finish with some practical suggestions for council and, and people, you know, in the context of, you know, being outside of Canada and facing this rather unique dilemma. Um, there was lots of discussion when um, when ERPA first came out, and over the years, about whether or not people could recapture PR, and we've had I, I had Chantal Deloge in the past talk about PR cards and and the process of recapturing and how much an officer at a border can really ask people when they're going through a crossing, you know, whether they can, you know, conduct their own residency determination right at the port of entry. And so mm-hmm. I direct listeners to to go back and listen to that uh, podcast. I can't remember which one. I'll put a link in the, in the show notes. Uh, to that discussion. But one of the issues that was really kind of unsettled was this notion of whether a permanent resident could be outside of Canada for years and years and years, never ever having had a residency determination uh, made. So effectively, they're still a permanent resident Mm -hmm. and then they meet a nice Canadian who's abroad, who is working, you know, in their country or whatever, and uh, they fall in love, get married and whether or not that could result in the recapturing of those two years needed um, in the context of of filing for a new PR card. And uh, when we were talking about this, Robert, you had mentioned that there was some uh, evidence to suggest that that may not be possible. Could you maybe share a little light on that?
1: sure i mean so so we're talking about this exception to the physical presence requirement where you can actually meet the physical the residency obligation if you're outside canada accompanying a canadian spouse Um, there is to my knowledge one uh, iad case where um, Uh, This woman uh, became a permanent resident. Uh, She then uh, went to uh, one of the countries in Africa to work and there met her Canadian husband. Uh, They got married and they pretty much spent most of their time outside of Canada. Uh, And when it came time for her to renew her PR card, she tried to rely on this exception of physical presence and her application was actually denied and it went to appeal and at appeal she lost the appeal. Uh, The IAD member sort of defined this exception and the word accompanying as meaning that uh, you have to be going outside of Canada with your spouse Uh, Rather than you know, in her factual situation, meeting your meeting your potential husband uh, outside of Canada, getting married there, and and in that situation, uh, she wasn't able to uh, renew her PR card. Now, which is a little bit silly because obviously the husband can sponsor Sponsor, her again. Yes,
0: and that's so
1: it it just creates a lot of uh, administrative uh, work for everybody, Uh, but but there is such a case so i would uh, always caution people uh, to have a look at that yeah
0: interesting and yeah you you identified something that's very clear it, it never ceases to amaze me why a simple right decision just can't be made um even when it's maybe not expressly consistent with uh, the letter of the law mm-hmm. and so you know it, i i recently had and this is a different topic entirely but you know, the context of of inadmissible dependent family members who are non-accompanying. So I had a spousal sponsorship from from within Canada and it had drug on for a long time for a variety of reasons. But in in the interim, one of the original dependent children, and we're talking four plus years, Mm -hmm. they were 17 at the time. They they were in the US, no desire to ever come to Canada. You know, three years later, get themselves a DUI. Mm. And because of that, Mom's application was actually, it was denied. But the wow. very moment it was denied, she was 100% admissible again, right? Because the child was was no longer considered a dependent. They were, you right. know, they were 23 or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I made my submissions and they were just discounted. So we had to refile, which I thought was just ridiculous. But, you know, there's... It, you know, the the officers in, in Ottawa are not paid to think. <laughs> so uh, according to uh, instructions that, you know, comments, anecdotal comments that we've heard from some of the powers that be in Ottawa, the lower level officers are not paid to think. They're paid to just apply rigorously, routinely, and uh, not think outside the box. So when we're dealing with that, <laughs> it, it leads to, well, federal court decisions on fettering of discretion and all kinds of things. But, but ultimately that... Uh, yeah, that's a very interesting concept that I wanted to address. Was just this ability to reclaim time, and mm-hmm. um, and so okay. Well, we'll leave we'll leave that at that there. Now I want to shift and just finish off with just some very practical suggestions, maybe that you can offer for people when they're in the context of, of or, or once they receive their permanent resident card. Some tips to try to avoid all of this mess.
1: Yeah, I mean. Uh, track your days uh, very carefully. I mean, uh, you, you may not think that uh, it's important, but you know, five years go by very, very quickly. Um, and nowadays, uh, you know, we see because of a lot of airports are using this sort of electronic uh, means, even Vancouver now, you don't get stamped in, even if you're a foreigner. Um, so if you just rely on your passport stamps, you may not be able to calculate accurately uh, the days outside of Canada, the days inside Canada. So, always keep a uh, good record, keep your travel itineraries. If you can, keep your boarding passes or a scan of it. Um, whenever you, if, if you have to apply to renew your card, um, retrieve the travel history reports. Um, so, in Canada, you can do that. Uh, they will give you a history of all your entries into Canada. Um, they have started to give you uh, the history of your exits as well. Um, so that's starting to happen. And in some countries, you can actually obtain uh, in and out records. Uh, I know for China, you can do that. Um, so. Just make sure that it's easy for you to put together a picture of how long you've been away, how long you've been here, because that will be the easiest way for you to uh, prove that you've met the residency obligation
0: excellent those are mm-hmm. yeah that's really good practical tips and as we indicated before um i'll I'll add in my tip and and this is pretty common sense. Don't wait until your p r card is is set to expire to apply for your renewal and in Mm -hmm. particular that is that is magnified a hundredfold if you are actually outside of Canada and you have any reservation that you may not be meeting the uh, the two and five year residency requirement so um, get back to Canada if you can before you make your your application and um, with your valid PR card and uh, especially in those circumstances where you're wondering if, whether or not you're, you're going to meet it, make sure you're, you're in Canada. So, excellent. Anything else, Robert, that you'd like to add before we conclude?
1: Uh, well, in, in, in times of doubt, just uh, make sure you get a good uh, representative to help you.
0: Perfect. I'm glad <laughs> you said that. So, yeah. someone's overseas. They are right on the cusp of meeting the two and five year. They're not quite sure. They've applied, there's a huge delay on their PR card, and now they have been given a request to apply for a travel document, um, and they realize, oh, I remember there was this episode on the Canadian Immigration Podcast where that lawyer was talking about strategy, and I just can't remember what is his contact information. So, (laughs) Robert, what is the best way to reach you?
1: So uh, I'm here in Vancouver, and uh, and uh, the law firm is Low and Company. You can find us on the internet.
0: You that, uh, and I'll put that in the show yeah. notes. I'll put all of this in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And is it is it better phone number, email? Is there because yeah, some listeners uh, some listeners may just be listening, so we'll we'll tell them uh, aud- through the audio here.
1: Sure. So the phone number here is six zero four eight seven five nine three three eight. Um, or you can reach us by email at uh, info at canadavisalaw.com.
0: Perfect. Mm-hmm. All right. And I have that down here as well. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me today, Robert. Once again, it was an excellent interview. I know that there are many listeners that are going to love it and uh, just really appreciate the insight that you've offered. This was awesome. So thank you very much for, for joining me today.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: All right. Take care. We'll talk to you all again right. soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, as always, that was a great, great interview with Robert. So gracious in, in his time that he took to join us. Um, and just the insight, the practical insight. You know, and I think we're all aware of the various strategies that we can use to have our clients try to fly into the U.S. if possible and then come around the land crossing to avoid some of these issues that Robert brought up in terms of that reassessment of the residency determination, um, that whole process can be quite messy. But I really appreciated Robert's insight. Um, you know, we'll see what happens ultimately with uh, the federal court and if there are any future uh, cases that help to clarify this issue a little bit more. But I think for for, at least for me, this was a wonderful interview with Robert and he taught me a few things that i just didn't realize about this process that is just going to help me to be a better advocate for my clients. So Robert, thank you so much for joining us and uh, i want to express thanks to all of you for tuning in. Um i know i've been pretty spotty the last little while here. I've not been pushing out a lot of new podcasts and and largely that's because of my new uh the new position i have here at Stringham LLP and And uh, whenever you move into a new place, a new firm, there's new expectations. And I, um, you know, when I was on my own, I had all the time in the world, I could do whatever I wanted, but now there's certain standards I need to maintain. And, uh, you know, for you immigration lawyers out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, The, the, you know, we have to make sure that we're, we're doing the work that we need to, to keep the dollars coming through the door. And, and uh, as, uh, yeah, and, and that's just the nature of, of our life, Right. Well, uh, this comes uh, I guess this brings to a close this episode of the um the twelfth episode of this season two of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I want to ask you all to slide over to um to iTunes and rate the podcast because that helps to elevate its um its standing and just make it more uh accessible uh for other people who may be interested in this content. If you have a suggestion for a future podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Um, Probably the best way is just via email to mholthy at stringham.ca. That's S-T-R-I-N-G-A-M dot C-A. And uh, I appreciate the feedback. I appreciate the, you know, the positive comments. If there's things that you don't like or you think, you know, maybe I could change, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. And uh, we will be in touch again soon as, as we drift off into the sunset here at the end of the podcast. I want to wish all of you guys the very best as you go about navigating this crazy world of Canadian immigration law, policy, and practice.
2: Oh, Canada, greatest country. Of your soil. This place I love, my home and native land. We welcome all, and with you we'll stand. We'll set you straight with law, policy, and practice. Here on the Canadian immigration.